This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house and went through real estate agent after real estate agent, and they were all talking a great game. And this guy who is selling his house, the founder of this, uh, this company, he's, you know, he's kind of an important guy and kind of, you know, should get the best treatment. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company, and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. We have a thousand agents across the country and they are people that listen to this show. And so when you go through real estate agents, I trust it's sent to somebody who already, you already know their sensibilities. They already are cut from exactly the same cloth. There's gotta be a better way. There is real estate agents. I trust.com. Memorandum. To fellow earthlings who care about the 2016, it is 2016, I believe, who care about the 2016 quadrennial phenomenon known as the American presidential campaign. Dear Republicans slash conservatives slash other, your top three candidates as of today One is a preacher, one is a rabble-rouser, and one is a Democrat. Which of those works best for you? Veritas. Welcome back, my family, my broadcast partners, my friends, speaking of whom, in just a moment. I am Jay Severin. You are the best and brightest. We are the Blaze Radio Network. one 3393 one 3393 and via Twitter, at J-A-Y underscore Severin. Now, this is totally unplanned, like all of the show, Uh, but it occurred to me just as we were coming to air, and I shouldn't have to say this now. I hope I wouldn't have to say it at all, but I shouldn't have to say it now. I should have said it last night in a private note, and I hope this is worth what it sounds like. Rocky, if you're listening, and if you're not, I hope someone will tell you. I didn't write to you last night because I I didn't have a good night. I was not feeling uh, well. And I know this sounds awfully weird, right? But it's, it's it's important to me. Rocky's a member of this family, and it would it would appear Rocky and I had a misunderstanding or a spat. And Rock, I want you to know that it you mean enough to me to say to open the show with this and say, Rocky, I love you. Come home. If, 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 I, if, it, if it was something I did or said, I'm sorry. Whatever it was, it's not. It's not worth 
uh, feuding and fussing. Rocky, come home. Okay. I hope you'll all get that or at least tolerate it uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm not sure I know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Can By the way, and the irony of this is contained in my question. It's a rhetorical question. Can the following be other than the lead story? And the answer to the rhetorical question is, it isn't. It isn't the lead story anywhere. How can it not be the lead story? As a matter of fact, I've just monitored major American media uh, starting at at around 6 this morning in in very uh, eastern time in in uh, multi platforms everything for instance that fox and cnn have broadcast and the different radio platforms and the web and us the blaze and everything else okay this you could find this but you'd have to look awfully hard i mean i haven't heard it on fox in the last two hours, or CNN in the last two hours. Now it does get frantic a bit, so I, I, you know, I can't always say that I haven't missed anything because I'm listening to three things at once and making notes and all of that. But do you want to live in an America where the following is not the lead story? I could ask it another way: Is the following not what this? national conversation and election must be all about? Here it is. Uh, And present company accepted. Shudder when you appreciate that nobody cares. Present company accepted. Nobody cares. But I suspect they're going to for reasons which in just one moment will become self-evident. Today, the first large group of Syrian, read, Muslim, refugees, reached the United States. Well, how can that be? Didn't the President of the United States assure us that no one, especially from particular areas or groups, would come here without being thoroughly and properly vetted? And don't we know, according to our own FBI, that the most expeditious vetting that exists by American law and American precedent requires 18 months, 18 months of individual investigation as to each incoming person. Yet, today, the first batch of refugees from Syria, Syrian refugees, read Muslim refugees, reached the United States to become permanent residents. No background check. No security background check. No medical 
background check. Though the camps from which they hail have led the league in polio, tuberculosis, uh, and other... Look, they're victims. I Please, they're victims. My heart breaks for them. But my heart breaks for a homeless person I see on the street and I say, truly, I say, and I hope you do, there but for the grace of whatever God I believe in, or gods, or even if I don't believe, but there but for the grace of someone greater than I, there goest me. That's me in that cardboard box. But for a cosmic coin flip, please don't think my heart doesn't break for them. But that doesn't mean I throw my kids out of their rooms and bring the homeless person home uh, with fleas and disease and install them in my house. The first one is utterly inhumane, i.e. not caring. The second one is madness. Madness. Charity begins at home. And I've always believed that, but I've always believed what that means on both sides of the coin. Charity begins. Right? Or you could really say, you uh, editors out there, fellow editors, charity. The word in that phrase, charity validates that there is such a thing and ought to be such a thing. Charity. And you could extend it if you wish. Charity begins. In other words, it exists, it's good, and we ought to practice it. Charity begins. Period. That's a sentence, by the way. Charity begins. Period. It's a declarative sentence. It isn't an imperative one unless you're a Democrat. It's not an order. It's an observation. Charity exists, and you ought to practice it. We ought to practice it. That's what the sentence, charity begins, would mean. But the full sentence is, charity begins at home. So it means charity begins, and charity exists, and charity ought to be observed, but the second half of that sentence is no less important, it seems to me, than the first half. Charity begins at home. You don't throw your family uh, out of their rooms, uh, you know, out of your house in order to, to have in the homeless, unless you want to. It's your domicile. It's up to you. But what I'm trying to tell you, if you don't already know this story, is waves of undocumented, unchecked, no security, no medical checks, no nothing checks, have entered the United States. And according to the story that crossed the wires, this is the first of a minimum. And what do I mean by minimum? I could tell you what the Obama White House says. The Obama White House says 10,000 is not so much a minimum as it is a floor, not a ceiling, but a floor. So a bare minimum of 10,000 utterly unknown 
Syrians, read Muslims, coincidentally, are starting to enter the United States and a minimum of 10,000 will arrive totally unchecked within the next few months. You know how? Under an executive order by Obama today called an accelerated surge. And it's, it's an accelerated surge of incoming unchecked refugees. P.S. What happens when the first terror attack that can be definitively traced to these thousands of incoming, totally unchecked refugees, when the first act of terror occurs, and in my opinion, yours, it will. What will happen then? Nothing. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house and went through real estate agent after real estate agent, and they were all talking a great game. And this guy who is selling his house, the founder of this, uh, this company, he's, you know, he's kind of an important guy and kind of, you know, should get the best treatment. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company. And it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. We have a 1,000 agents across the country. And they are people that listen to this show. And so when you go through real estate agents I trust, it's sent to somebody who already, you already know their sensibilities. They already are cut from exactly the same cloth. There's got to be a better way. There is. Real estate agents, I trust.com. This is the Jay Severin Show. On the Blaze Radio Network, and I'm now fingering the uh, uni, uni ball. Vision Elite, uh, something like a marker and a ballpoint pen. It, it's, it's the least technical and therefore, to me, most understandable and operational part of this operation. I have this Elite Ball, kind of always thought of myself that way, and so have the girls, they tell me. But I, but I have a unique, no, an Elite Ball pen here. And and a piece of paper, a legal pad, ironically, uh, which I use to record your name and city of domicile when you call one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. I usually remember, but just in case. So I want you to know at 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 base, this is a pen and paper operation uh, for me anyway. I hope you will call one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. Let's jump right to the political news because for a down, what is expectantly a down political news cycle day, 
Because once you get two to three days out from the last primary and you have a gap of a week, actually two weeks, but you know what I mean, until the next primary or until the next anticipated, no, next scheduled political event. But see, we're not two weeks away from, we're, we're not out of the undertoad here. We're swimming in the undertoad and it ain't going away. You know why? Because this is the New York primary. And there ain't no primary like the New York primary. And I don't say that because I'm a native New Yorker. Please don't hate me. Uh, you know, the models say don't hate me because I'm beautiful. Well, they used to be. Now there's a new movement. All day in the news I've been seeing there's a new movement. In California, they wish to introduce and pass a law which makes it illegal. Get this. Illegal for fashion models to appear in any medium, the web, print, radio, I guess they don't much appear in radio, (laughs) the web, print, or television, fashion models may not appear who project unrealistic and distasteful body, uh, somotypes, body types, uh, parenthetically, you know, two young women. And because the thesis is if, if, you know, like for the last you know, few hundred years, we see women who are toned and fit and we find them more attractive than uh, Hillary Clinton, then we're going to pass a law against, naturally, naturally. We're going to make it illegal. So that's in the news, but uh, but we're never out of the political news because it's New York, and that's reminded me of the models. And uh, I think there's someone that I live with that wouldn't mind mentioning if I mentioned that uh, I'm married to a former model. So I'm just buttering up here. Hope you don't mind. I know it's on your time. Politics will not end because it is the New York primary and not just because I'm a New Yorker. Nothing is like the New York primary. And I would cite this. We're in the first 48 hours of the New York primary. Today, the cover of the New York Daily News, which, if you don't know it, it's fine, is is a tabloid. Okay? So it's not a, it's not a uh, broadsheet paper like say, the New York Times, it's a tabloid, a small, you know, newspaper in size, although it's also small in brains when it comes to the New York Daily News. But that's another story. The New York Daily News, which is New York's traditional union, left-wing, Bolshevik uh, newspaper, and perhaps, therefore, there is no surprise that the New York Post which it, which has become like the British news uh, papers. And that is to say, most people find it really entertaining and read it. Uh, no, the people who read the daily news can barely scrape up the money to buy it each day. Now, I'm not mocking them. You know, that could be me tomorrow, but I would say it all in this because it's already been said. It was said by Rupert Murdoch one day. Eons ago, 
and by that I mean about 25 years ago, when Rupert Murdoch still deigned to attend client pitches for his business, the New York Daily News wanted to pitch Rupert Murdoch. Uh, and that d- didn't go well. So soon thereafter, they they were looking in another direction. He said, Let, let's, let's, let's pitch uh, Saks Fifth Avenue. And so they said, that's it. And a really upscale clothier, Fifth Avenue, New York City. All right, let, let's, let's pitch Saks. So uh, the New York Daily News pitched Saks. And it was not going well. And in the middle of this pitch, now I don't know if this is apocryphal. I wasn't there, but it's become legend in the advertising industry, in the media business in New York, that someone important, maybe the top guy from Saks, stood up and said, lost patience and stood up and said, no, 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 you don't understand you know, New York Times readers are our customers. New York Daily News readers, New York Times readers are our shoppers. New York Daily News readers are our shoplifters. And and so I'm just trying to give you a sort of a, you know, plane here on which to judge the, the Daily News if you don't know it. Today's Daily News headline is a picture of Ted Cruz next to a subway car, and it says, Take the F.U. train, Ted. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, partners. I'm Jay Severin. You are the best and brightest. Strut it. Strut it. Show your stuff like a model. But not if you have a buttocks like Hillary Clinton. Well, soon that will be a matter of law, not opinion. So I better give that up. Uh, I'm a fan of Sir Mix-a-Lot's music, but not his taste in buttocks. 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 I feel I may be a victim of Trump syndrome. Well, you know, I mean, a specialized form of that. Trump's Trump's Tourette syndrome. Nipple, buttocks, Chinese trade deficit. Blaze Radio Network, 1 888 before I get deeply into it, and I am, you know, we're going to talk about Rule 40B. Wow, that's cir- Civic Circus Maximus, no? That's like caramel corn and candy apples and soda, right? No, it is. It's really interesting. And it's designed to screw you, no matter almost who you support. And, and the greatest unknown fact of this entire operation is available. You can look it up. 
I saw it today for the first time. Well, no, I I know all about it, but I saw it for the first time actually put on the screen today by Fox. And they quoted the RNC site, which says the rules of the Republican convention are written. And look, we, we talked about this three weeks ago. Okay, I mean, you know, again, you maybe you'll recall, but I would like to note for the record, Your Honor, we did enter this into evidence three, four, five, six weeks ago, Uh, but it's worth repeating like anything I say. Uh, And it, it is that the rules of the Republican convention are written for that Republican convention only. They are meant to die, go away, expire. Fade, go away. After the, the the hammer comes down, the gavel comes down on the last day of the of the last convention. Thus, do all the rules of the convention expire? And the RNC meets in about a week for the purpose of determining this year's rules. Now, of course, certain rules carry over. Certain rules karaoke, especially at conventions. You know, you got a lot of drinking there. People who are generally, you know, generally otherwise sober. You got a lot of carryover. You got a lot of karaoke. But in the carryover part, you know, generally they carry over a lot of the rules. I don't know to what degree that will be true this year, but it's certainly worth discussing because the next piece of news I have to either give you or with which I will refresh your recollection is going to make your blood boil. But right now, let's go to the phones. Jim from Minnesota, welcome back. Hey, how you doing, Jack? Hey, Jim. Yeah, life is good. This is the part where you speak. Yep, I know. Well, I was just calling in as far as, you know, I get a chance to share with you as far as, you know, I shared about my family and, you know, miracles. Yes, I I well remember. I well remember. But uh, I didn't tell you about the miracles that are happening in my life right now. Wow. Uh, Miracles, plural. Yep, plural. Uh, Well, for years, you know, I retired from the military back in 2003. Thank you. And I just got done with the Iraq War, and I came back, and and we we were stationed in Norfolk, Virginia, on the Harry S. Truman, which is an aircraft carrier. And you well were know. what? What was your rate? I was an aviation electrician made first class, B six. Wow. Okay. And I'm also a Thank third you, generation Chief. Navy man. Like my wow. My late I love dad that. And grandpa before me. You know what? Yep. And this is the really. This is a. Uh, I hope this doesn't sound cheap, because in 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 effect, it is almost by definition pathetic. Uh, it's about me naturally. Uh, but I tell you parenthetically that two, two movies I wanted to watch were on last weekend and I watched them and my child bride sat and watched about 10 minutes of each one of them with me. And one was, um, Oh, it's the one where Gene Hackman commands a mythical boat, a U boat called the Alabama crimson tide. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, Crimson, yeah. Tide. Crimson Tide. Yeah, the second yeah. one is the classic 1954 film, The Cane Mutiny. 
with everybody. Mm-hmm. Humphrey Bogart and every uh, just a brilliant, oh, yeah. brilliant yep. film. And a brilliant book, yep. by the way, for anyone who hasn't read oh, yeah. it. You think the movie yep. is good? Oh, my God. Herman Woke's book, uh, actually his trilogy of War and Remembrance uh, and the other one, and then Kane Mutiny. Anyway, so she watched about 10 minutes of each of these. And on the second 10 minutes, Jim, she said to me, I feel almost guilty that you chose this life rather than that one. And I said, what do you mean, honey? And she said, I just watched like, you know, we've been sitting here for five minutes, 10, 20 minutes. And she said, look at the order these guys have in their lives. Look at how there's an order for everything, that there's a book. Yep. And that there's an order, and that every order is repeated, and everyone does what they're told, and there's a chain of command, and there's a place for everything, including a toothpick. There's like a toothpick and a toothpick holder for officers in a certain place in the officer's mess. And woe betide the man who doesn't keep those toothpicks in the toothpick holder in the officer's mess. You know what? That's my kind of universe. Yeah. Anyway. It that's the universe. Worse. That's the universe you built and protected. The generations of you, and we thank you. I appreciate that, Jay. That means a lot. No, but, I mean uh, it. I mean, I I, I probably would have washed out. But in terms of the appeal to me personally, of you know the order and the chain of command and all of that, mm-hmm. I know I'm a Freudian delight, which is a, a line from King Mutiny, but. It's fine. So be it. I mean, that's it takes something special to be a Navy man and certainly to be a third generation Navy man and certainly to be an E6 in that rate. So thank you. I appreciate that, Jay. Yeah. So anyway, um, you know, I got out. Uh, I decided that uh, I wanted to do a job. When I was in, I got a master's degree in HRD and management. Because I had a, a I had a bachelor's degree before I got in. I was going to go officer, but that was a long story. I won't get into that. Uh, but anyway, uh, so but I, if I was stuck behind a desk, I would go crazy. I would go crazy because I got to be doing something with my hands. I'm a man that's got to use my hands in my profession. And uh, so I went to one of the top technical schools in uh, the, you know, this area, you know, Minnesota, called Dunwoody. And mm-hmm. I learned the skill of working on appliances. And uh, you mean we don't throw for... those all away? Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Especially as so they're so expensive nowadays. People are fixing them instead of throwing them away. <laughs> I, I have to finance my wife's Bosch dishwater uh, dishwasher <laughs> like I used to have to finance a car. Yeah, I don't work on Bosch dishwashers. I just test the things. I load them. <laughs> it costs how much? Wait, yeah, I'll hire a dishwasher. Yeah. It's like, you know, the German engineers are trying to design the space shuttle when they should have designed the dishwasher. It's just like, what are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, I'm taking up too much of your time because okay. I have to so break anyway, in a uh, couple of minutes. So, so please, go anyway, ahead. I'll uh, shut up. So after working for 20 years for officers and some chief petty officers that were a pain in the butt, I determined that I can never work for another person in my life. Gotcha. So I had to develop my own business, and that's what I did. I had my own business in this area called Jim's Appliance Repair, and uh, I am doing phenomenal. As far Good as, for uh, you. I my... do, you have a, do you have a website or a Facebook or something? Yep, sure you do. Would like... 
Yep. Tell us. It's Jim3, yeah, Jim, the number three, repair.com. Jim, the number three, repair.com. Repair.com. And I also have an aircraft carrier on the About Me page, my, the one I wow. served on, the Truman. Neat. But, uh, is that I a really six fleet? Just, is that a six fleet boat? Like you believe. Is that a six fleet boat? Is that out, out of uh, uh, Virginia or uh, where is that? What's home port? I'm living. Yeah. Oh, no, no. What's home port? Yeah, the Truman is home Truman. port in uh, Virginia, in Norfolk, Norfolk, Virginia. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Jim, anyway, I want to hear more of this story. I hope you sure. will, uh, you, you know, uh, regard what we've done so far as a decent and reliable and worthwhile start. Uh, I have to jump uh, in a moment. So thank you. And I really mean, sure. as I said earlier, I thank you. We thank you. Um, I happen to be uh, my father was Army Air Force, but and a pilot. Uh, uh, but. I would have disappointed him half. Uh, if I had served, that would have delighted him. And he was too big a man to ever say so to me. He would never have told me that he was disappointed if he was, and I think he probably was, that I didn't wear the uniform. I know I am. I know it will be my greatest regret at my last moment of life it will be that I did not wear the uniform of this country. I I have, as I have said before, and if this sounds mysterious, I want it to because I deserve it. And I just can't talk about it. I have served my country in some unique ways, but I can't talk about them while I'm living. Uh, and again, if that sounds mysterious and self-congratulatory, I want it to be a little bit because I have done things that I cannot talk about. Um, uh no, I was going to say something else too, but I can't. But you know what? That's that's cheap. That's a cheap way out. Uh, because what I can't say is I wore the uniform of this country, something I'll always regret. And you are the third generation, and I broke a chain of several generations of doing so, like a lot of men uh, who are baby boomers. And I don't know about them, but uh, I ain't proud of it. partners on the same blaze radio network i'm not going to start my rant about the convention and i already regret naming it rule 40 i didn't name it but it inciting that its name is rule 40b what could be more boring what could be less of a tease than saying stay tuned we're going to talk about imagine if it were any of these words stay tuned we're going to talk about rule 40. B. Rule 40B. Okay, but I promise you, come on, you know where you are. You know who this is. It's not going to be boring. 
it's going to be infuriating, and it's uh, the time to refresh our recollections about what Rule 40B is and why it's one of many that doesn't exist anymore. I'll tease it only by saying, do you appreciate that there are no rules? Everyone on television and radio and in print and on the web, everyone who, you know, puts themselves forward to talk about this is making a series of presumptions that are prima facie ludicrous. There are no rules. If you if you had Prince Priebus, thank you, Laura. If you had Prince Priebus in the studio right now, and I said, Prince, I'm going to give you the whole two hours. Go ahead, read to us the rules, all of them. Don't leave anything out, pube. Read everything, all the rules of the Republican National Convention. You ready? Go. Thanks. Thanks for coming by, pube. There are no rules. There isn't one rule. And that includes the first ballot presumption. I don't get it. You've got everybody opining about, well, here's all the things that could happen. That is, unless they go for Trump or Cruz on the first ballot. Why is it people think that the first ballot rule is inviolate somehow, sacrosanct, permanent, biblical, written on stone tablets? Believe me, it ain't. There is no first delegate. The, the, the first delegate, sorry, the first ballot delegate duty is presumed. It's presumed. It is presumed that because it has before existed and has traditionally existed, historically existed, it will continue to exist. The party didn't have an open reason to change it until now. Now we know they don't want someone who might get it on the first ballot. Maybe not the second ballot. They're going to meet to make the rules in 10 days. There are no rules. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Would you guys stop bothering me with telephone calls so I can give you the news and views you can use? Just kidding. Excelsior! Welcome back, my family, my broadcast partners, my dear friends. And 
I know that you have a life other than this, but I don't. I mean, this, the, my family and you are it. So you really are my friends. I know that's kind of, in a way, it's, I mean, I, I hope you like the sound of that, but in a way, I, I appreciate it's rather sad, but it is what it is. So here I am, the sum total of my industry spilled out for two hours each day, uh, though it's rather more organized than that, but not much. I'm Jay Severin. We're the Blaze Radio Network. One, and stop bothering me at one 3393 Just kidding. one 3393 via Twitter at J-A-Y underscore Severin. Rule 40B. I know, I know. Don't worry, I I don't need to say those words anymore. The point is, and I said this at the end of the last hour, hope you were here, it can be said very simply, in fact, so simply, that it comes naturally to me. No, so simply that it's it's deceptive because you're going to say, as a smart person, you're going to say to yourself, well, no, it, it can't be that simple. I mean, it's, 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 it can't be. There can't be all this fuss and analysis and all this stuff going on if, if what Jay says is true. Believe me. And you have good reason to believe me, as you know. It's true. Here it is. The rules for the upcoming Republican convention? There are none! There are none. The rules of every convention just haven't been paid attention to the way they are this year. It's the natural evolution of cable television and the news cycle and the nature of the candidates, the race, the stakes, attitudes, culture, civic circus, moximus, and everything. It's a combination of everything. No one ever cared what the Rules Committee did before. Now, if they allow media to cover the Rules Committee meetings, I doubt they will. But if they did, it'll have higher ratings than the Super Bowl. Because in 10 days or so, the Republican National Committee will meet almost certainly behind closed doors. I don't even think there's a question about that. But if I'm I'm wrong, good. Good. It'll be great for us, but uh, almost certainly behind closed doors. And the purpose of their meeting will be to set and adopt the rules for this coming convention. Because no rules have ever existed for any convention that exist beyond the termination of that convention. So right now, the only the only correct answer to the question, okay, even if A, B, C, D through Z happen, we at least know blank is something we can rely on. And everybody who has access to a microphone of any kind or a, a platform of any kind, public platform, is saying uh, fill in the blank, and the blank is the first ballot rule. Other than that, we don't know what's going to happen, but we do know that all of the delegates that these guys win have to vote for them on the first ballot. 
who says whom? Moses, show me the stone tablet. There is no stone tablet. There will be one, but you're not going to write it, and neither am I. In fact, if anything, it's going to be written in, at best, ignoring the views of voters. At worst, in contravention of the views of voters. But there are no rules. There is no first ballot rule. There is no rule. No rules exist for this convention. Now, what they will probably do is move that all of the rules of the last convention, I hereby move some senior member will be given the uh, deference and opportunity to stand and say, I move the rules of the 2012 convention as written and practiced in 2012 are adopted for this convention with the following exceptions. And that's where it all falls apart. Because they're not going to, the the Guru Jay say, most emphatically, holy cow chip. They're not going to adopt all of the rules of the last time automatically. There are going to be some changes. Here's the first change there's likely to be. I'm again, I'm not going to say it. I've already said it. You know which thing. It's now thing, 40B. <laughs> you know which thing to which I refer. Okay. A senior member of the uh, of the RNC Rules Committee claimed today on live television that the rules are going to be slightly tweaked, but no major changes. Hmm. Okay. And and you can't quote them. Slightly tweaked, but not no no major changes. Uh nota bene. Have you noticed that Trump has very effectively cast the notion that any rule change, any rule change is going to be done exclusively to hurt him and deny him the nomination he believes he's already earned. Now, the question is, what effect on his supporters, what effect on you, on me, what effect on his supporters and others will this have if he doesn't, pardon me, win the nomination? Is he trying to pre-ruin all of the voters for anybody else? I mean, it's worth considering. But on to what we were discussing. Assuming that delegates, what I'm trying to say is, let me get right to the point here. Rule 40B. I'm sorry I said I wouldn't say it again, but I said it again. That thing states the following. In order to be eligible to be the nominee of the party, a candidate must have won at least eight 
separate states during the primaries. That's it. Now, that rule doesn't exist anymore because no rule exists anymore, as we now know. But they are going to address that rule, uh, former rule, and they're either going to adopt it, change it, junk it, whatever. But the word is, the scuttlebutt is, they're going to alter it. Now, why would they want to do that? I mean, if you're, I mean this, I know it sounds like a trick question, but really, assuming that you're a member of the Republican National Committee and your job is to elect a Republican, to produce a candidate as soon as possible who can win, right? Is that not your job if you're at the RNC? Produce a candidate as quickly as possible with as little bloodletting as possible so that you can unify and that that he or she can win, right? Okay. Uh, assuming that all of this makes sense, then think about this. Why, why would they alter that rule? You must win in at least eight states. Now, I'm not saying it's a great rule. I'm not passing any editorial comment on the worthwhileness of Rule 40B. You must win in at least eight separate states in order to be a nominee. No matter what the delegates say, no matter what anybody says, you have to win at least eight primaries outright or you're not eligible. Now, whether it's good or bad, that's what it was. Is that what it's going to be again? Why would they change this? Their two front runners have shown, and that's why they created the rule in the first place, right? They want... They don't want a flash in the pan. They want someone who has the proven ability to appeal to a fairly uh, vibrant, diverse cross-section of voters in various, you know, demo geographic parts of the country. So they don't want... This rule was designed to stop Ron Paul, by the way. Not RuPaul, but his father, Ron Paul. They don't want a flash in the pan. You know who the flash in the pan of today is? Johnny One Note, One State Wonder Boy, post, Postal Worker, uh, nothing wrong with that, Kasich. Okay? They don't want a flash in the pan. They don't want one guy that wins, win, wins one primary and all of a sudden is the star for a day, queen for a day, wins the washing machine. No, they don't want that. So a lot of people would argue it ain't a bad rule. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to say. I don't know. But if they change it, if they change it, and they're going to, why? What we need to ask ourselves is, if they change that rule, when their two front runners are the only two people who will have complied with that qualification by the time of the convention, only Trump and Cruz will have won in eight different states. By the time the convention occurs. Why? I mean it literally. Please, please tell me why. Why would they change that rule? Jay Severin. On the Blaze Radio Network.
is the Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. And you are my partners, John from West Kentucky. Thank you for your great patience. John? Yes, hi. Hello? John, welcome. Hello. John. Hi, how are you? I'm I'm well, thank you. (laughs) And unlike you, you, not just awakening from a nap, but in any case, welcome. John. Yes, tempo, sir. Tempo, tempo. Your John, call, it's up to it, you. Okay. Um, sorry, my phone was breaking up a little bit. Uh, apologize okay. for it's that. Okay. We're, we're Thank live. you for having Go. me on. You, you no, are uh, from New York. Is that? Did I hear you right? Yes. Guilty. Okay. <laughs> I throw myself on the mercy of the court. Well, 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 some of my ancestors came through there, so you don't have to feel guilty. <laughs> but but uh, the, re- the reason you know, I had... a great line that, I heard? A great line I heard was that uh, the island of the Greek island of Lesbos, and I won't get into that, though it's rich territory, <laughs> potentially. We will get into it, maybe tomorrow, but the island of Lesbos, yes... Yes, the island of Lesbos, which is the gateway. We all, right? Okay, for the refugees. They said, but someone I, I, on the BBC said a couple nights ago, the Isle of Lesbos has become the Ellis Island of this great I, wave of immigration. And it's, technically, uh, you know, it's, it's te- not to validate a, it, but it's technically <laughs> correct, you know. We had a bakery in somewhere in New York, probably where the old Brook, where Brooklyn uh, is, but that was in the late 1700s. <laughs> well, are you of Dutch origin, sir? Are you of Dutch origin? Uh, no, Irish, Irish, okay. and a number a number of other other nationalities. Yeah, me too. Uh, European mixed breed. Yes, I understand. But, but I. I I would appreciate your perspective on on uh, a question I have. Yeah, if if I if I may ask. You may. Um, Senator Cruz uh, has come in to New York and into the Mid Atlantic state primaries there with uh, a little more momentum in the last couple of weeks than what he seemed to have. But now he's hit some terrain. Well stated. That... Well stated. Not overstated. Not understated. Well stated. That's right. It is. It is greater than it was, and it is suggests. It seems to me that you understand. You appreciate. It is probably temporary. Now he's been uh, tagged, and and this point is is being hammered, hammered again and again by Mr. Trump about. A comment that uh, Senator Cruz made um, back, I believe it was before the Iowa primary or Iowa caucus, uh, about values uh, in New York. New York values. New York values. And during the course of debates, there's not a lot of opportunity to elaborate um, or to give a very expansive answer. Uh, or description of what he meant by that, but is there a way, in your opinion, that Senator Cruz can address that comment, expand upon it, and 
uh, increase in the eyes of you folks mean in New can York. he end up not only not being damaged by it but jujitsuing it into an advantage but have a, a positive um, outcome or, or positive yeah. way of jujitsuing it into an advantage yes okay um, I, I yeah. then I think we agree on the question here's the answer first of all the die is already cast uh, for for good or ill uh, Ted Cruz has decided what his tactical response to this is going to be. He has already started. He's 48 hours into giving this response. And the response is, I meant New York City liberals in particular, and by in particular, I mean the written record, and here it is. He's got a handout he can give, his campaign can give out at the stops. I mean New York City liberal Democrat values, and I mean the people to whom Donald Trump gave money and supported and endorsed and worked for and to whom he lent his name for 25 years, including Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Mario Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo, uh, Spitzer. Uh, the current attorney general of New York, there is no prominent current or uh, 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 recent office holder uh, of uh, who is a Democrat of a prominent office that Trump did not support. So that's his response. That's half your answer. The other half, our answer. The other half, that's what he's saying. The question, though, is... Can he make it not just can he not just neutralize it? Can he turn it into an advantage? I think yes. I think among the people who will ultimately vote in 10 days in the Republican primary, they know exactly what he's talking about. They were not offended. The New York Daily News and and other media may find that it serves them to take umbrage, to take faux umbrage. Oh, we're so offended. New York values. Oh, my God, I can say that. But the people who will vote in the, in the actual primary in 10 days, they don't mind. Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. You are best and brightest. I am Jay Severin. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. All right, uh, let's. Okay, enough gloom and doom for today. Enough realism for today. Let's assume. Let's put on our fantasy hats for the moment, and assume because then I would have a hat on. I would have a hat, and I'd have it on. I'd have a hat on. No reason to editorialize further there. Assuming that delegates and ballots still matter, let's assume they're going to matter, okay? Like old-fashioned, old-school. Let's assume that the delegates actually still matter and the ballots still matter, which is a large assumption, but let's, let's do that. Ted Cruz 
desperately needs Kasich to drop out so he can inherit the non-Trump. I don't mean anti-Trump, but I don't know. Maybe it's the same thing. There is an there is a non-Trump vote. I'm not sure how much of it is anti-Trump and how much of it is just, yeah, you know, he's not my cup of tea, as opposed to, you know, the never Trumps, okay? Uh, more about whom in due course. But Ted Cruz, I don't say this as a Ted Cruz supporter, though I am. I say that for full disclosure as ever. Ted Cruz desperately needs to take Trump you know, one-on-one. And he needs to inherit the non-Trump vote, which he has done since Rubio dropped out of the race. More delegates have gone to Ted Cruz than to Trump. More votes have gone to Ted Cruz than to Trump. But right now, Kasich is still draining, you know, depending on where we are, if he's in Wisconsin, what did he get? He got, what, 13. All right, you know, that's paltry. And it made me a dope because I thought he'd get, what I say, 19 to 22 or something? He got 13, I think, 13, 14. But you add that 13 or 14 to what Ted Cruz got, which is what you can do once Kasich is gone. And... Ted Cruz, as a matter of arithmetic, needs this to happen. Now, yes, I would like to have it happen, but I'm not saying it for that reason. I'm just observing. The arithmetic says Ted needs to have that happen. But you know what? Guru Jay still say Kasich has a deal or a brain tumor. It's one or the other. Kasich is still in this because of a deal with the RNC. Hang in there, baby, because if we last until a second or third ballot, you're our guy. Or maybe it's got to go five ballots. Or maybe there ain't going to be. It's not going to matter. You're going to be our guy on the first ballot because maybe there ain't going to be a first ballot. We don't know what they're going to do with this. This is a public relations train wreck. This is hiring my public relations firm to promote your ocean liner company a week and paying me a million dollar retainer a week before your premier carrier, the Titanic, doesn't complete its first transatlantic crossing, if you know what I mean. The, the the RNC has already demonstrated they are willing to absorb the public relations equivalent of the Titanic. And they don't care. Because look at the rumors that are unnecessarily floating. All this stuff about there may not be a first ballot loyalty rule, there may not be ballots, they're going to keep Trump and Cruz out no matter what. There's all these things about Paul Ryan. Do you think that there would be stories about Paul Ryan? Do you think we would have read or be hearing stories about the prospects of Mitt Romney or Paul Ryan or John Kasich? How is John Kasich in this race? 
Why do we read how, not why, sorry, how is it that we read stories today, tomorrow, next week, about Mitt Romney, Paul Ryan, Carly, uh, Jeb, Heb, Heb. Why do we read those stories? How is it that that's possible? The RNC could prevent that, but they don't. They feed them. Why? Look at the price they're willing to pay to do what they feel they need to do. I could be wrong. There's a first time for everything, but there's also a reason for everything. If they change that rule that you have to win in eight states, nobody worthy of our company will fail to ask themselves, why did they do that? Well, what's who is that designed to kill? Who does that assassinate? What is the purpose of that? You've got two front runners who will have won eight states plus each by the convention. Why do you why would you change that? You'd change it so that you can pluck your favorite rhino from a batch of candidates who didn't earn it. It's the only reason. Now, okay, maybe they won't change it. But another interesting thing here, other than a fifth ballot, the prospect of a third, fourth, fifth ballot. And by the way, the story, it's in my notes here somewhere, but one of the schools of thought, uh, well, we're coming to that next, and we will get to it, so I, I won't uh, I won't upcut myself. Let me finish this point. Uh, postscript. This is the era of the outsider, right? Everyone wants an outsider, right? But people who actually wish to win office have quickly learned that it still is the era of the experienced veteran political strategist. Now, again, uh, in the interests of full disclosure, that's what I did with 30 years of my life. So I might be inclined to defend it. I might even be inclined to return to it, depending on how this all works out. But you can't win without them. You can make your public persona and your public rap that, oh, we hate political strategists. We hate the political professionals. Ew, ew, yuck, dog poo. We hate them. And you know what? That might be, depending on the year, this might be the year, you know, that might be a smart tactic. It's fine. Pee all over me. I'm not paying you for this, though. Uh, No, but I mean, you know, pee all over us as a profession, political strategists. But you know what? You cannot win without them. If you don't have a brilliant pollster, a brilliant media consultant, a professional fundraiser, unless your name is Trump, you know, or Rockefeller, a professional ground and organizational professional for your ground game, a turnout, a get-out-the-vote pro, and this year, delegate-slash-convention experts. If you don't have the best legal minds in the world figuring out and learning how to get around or exploit or 
utilize to your advantage the delegate rules, the convention rules, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. This is to say, you know, you may be against the legal establishment. You might be among the many Americans who say, oh, I I hate lawyers. But you don't want to ever go to court without one, do you? Because you will truly have a fool for a client. You're not going to court without an attorney. You're not going to the convention alone. You can say you're alone. Maybe it's very smart to say you're alone. Maybe it's the thing that will win you the nomination. I hate lawyers. I hate political consultants. I hate them. I don't have any of them. Fortunately, you cannot be prosecuted for saying that, even though it's a lie. Because I'll tell you right now, Donald Trump has top advisors. I know, I've known one of them for 30 years. Uh, And, you know, I'm telling you, he's got them. He's going to pee on them as a generic brand forever. But if he has any hope of staying in this, he's going to keep them in his employ. Because if you don't have a pollster, media consultant, fundraiser, uh, uh, ground game pro, and the best lawyers in the world, vis-a-vis delegate and convention, ballots and loyalty and rules and all of that, you, you are going to court without an attorney you are going to court pro se meaning representing oneself equals you have a fool for a client this is jay febron on the blaze radio network Show only on the Blaze Radio Network. With you, my partners, my radio family, one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three on the Blaze. You know, I I do laugh very sincerely when I look. I just eyeball the coverage here for a second. This is the New York primary. We'll talk more about it tomorrow. But my native New York is the most diverse place on earth. It is, and. I know things change, but I think one thing has not changed. I think every candidate is going to have to be photographed, that is to say, you know, videoed, covered, eating a knish, Chinese food, Korean food, Italian food, Irish food. What is Irish food? I, uh, uh, like every ethnic group imaginable, including does the LGBTQ dish, AM and FM, STD, PhD, AM and FM, uh, ERS have a, a, a cuisine? If so, they'll have to be seen eating that too. Uh, ethnic politics is politics in New York. It's going to be great. It usually trips people up, so it's really entertaining. I mean, this is the one where, who was it? Was it uh, John Kerry or somebody 
try to eat some kind of food, you have to take the covering off at first. But he tried to eat it with the covering on it. And and and, uh, and everybody just like, you know, laughed themselves into tears. And the whole thing was blown. <laughs> All right. Uh, quick. Schools of current thought on the campaign. Something to think about until tomorrow. Principally, of course, ours, which is, as usual, matches up with reality. Trump, as aforesaid here, is going to... This was said here before the Wisconsin primary, as you'll recall. Trump had to take the blows of a Wisconsin loss, and he didn't like it much, as you could tell. But Trump is going to totally, almost certainly, reverse the story of the Wisconsin loss in about 10 days. And this whole notion of Ted Cruz, uh, again, I'm a Ted guy, but this whole notion of Ted's being back somehow in the driver's seat, well, enjoy that uh, because it's over. It's, Wisconsin is already forgotten about because New York has 95 delegates. And Trump, who's already ahead by about 250 delegates, may take them all. And then he hits the mid-Atlantic states, you know, New Jersey, and then he moves to Pen- and others, and he moves to Pennsylvania. He could do very well in both of those places. Then he goes to California, where the race is currently within the margin of error tied. And Trump could do very well and very well in California among uh, California Republicans. So it is not yet impossible that Trump gets 1237 prior to the convention. But again, that's why we talked about Project 1236 seven weeks ago. Because, and by seven weeks ago, I mean first, because the meeting next week of the RNC is going to have an obsession with this notion that Trump could arrive at the convention with 1237. That means, sure, they could wait and change the rule five minutes before the first ballot. They could change the rule in the middle of the first ballot. And they will if they have to, if they want to. I don't know what they want. I'm speculating. But we're going to get some clues pretty early. And it's not too late for Trump to arrive with the number necessary. You know what? It's not technically too late for Ted Cruz to do the same. It's just that, frankly, at the moment, it is more likely. It looks more. It looks like neither will, but it looks more likely of the two that Trump will. Now, you know, most estimates right now are that they'll both fall short. But that's the whole thing, isn't it? What's the RNC thinking? What are they going to do to thwart us? The Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network.